0: As we pick up tonight in Titus now chapter 2 essentials for evangelism healthy membership there are two key words that I want us to want to stick in our minds tonight uh, that, that that I want everything to go back to and you can see the little the the underline the blanks there at the very top these are the two key words these two words train them train them. I truly believe that Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, is teaching the evangelist and the eldership to teach them, teach the membership. And of course, is expecting the membership then, which would include the evangelist and the elders, to live by these truths. To be effective in evangelism, we need to take to heart That there are certain things, certain truths in God's Word that are going to affect our behavior. Sound and healthy doctrine has to do in this section with our relationships with one another. It's when we take the wisdom of God and we apply it to our relationships. We must know how to relate to one another as the church of Christ, as the local body of God's people. It's pretty easy and it's interesting sometimes to talk about certain academic subjects and academic pursuits. We like to talk about what will happen at death. We like to talk about, you know, the end of time and things like that. We enjoy maybe talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. We like talking about the miraculous age in the Bible times and those things, they have their place but let's not forget, let's not be unaware that sound or healthy doctrine is not limited to those types of subjects. But that the scripture here teaches that it, it, it goes along with what is fitting, or sound doctrine is what is fitting for healthy living and the relationships that we have as the body of Christ. And in each area of life, whether we be older older, uh, middle age or young, God's Word has something for us. We can connect with God's Word. God's Word can connect to us if we will open our hearts and minds to it. As, uh, before we start, I want to mention this. Sometime back, I was thinking about old age and young age. And I was thinking about how nobody likes to be called old. And, you know, sometimes people don't like to be called young and all these kinds of things. And for whatever reason, I was looking on the internet and I found this. And I thought it was neat. I don't know how accurate it is. But I read where someone said that 40 is the old age of youth and that 50 is the youth of old age. So wherever you lie in that, if you're not any around those numbers, you take it what it mean. And I, thought, I told Lindsay, I said, well, I'm going to add to that. If you're feeling down about yourself because people call you old and you kind of feel like you're old, but you don't want to think that you're old, just set this benchmark. If you hit the triple digit, and from my understanding, we have a dear sister here who is getting close to that spot. If that is the case, you hit the triple digit, you could if you wanted to. If you wanted to, say, I'm old. (laughs) I had a great grandmother that lived to be 104 in her right mind. And she died for other reasons, not because of her mind. It's, it's a blessing to be here on this earth a long time, especially if we're not suffering terribly every day. And so the sad thing about her is she was not a Christian. And so she lived a long life. But uh, as far as I know, she was not prepared to die. Well, we're here tonight because we want to be prepared to live and to die. And particularly living for the Lord, living by sound, healthy principles. So that we can be effective in reaching the people around us. If we are not healthy in our relationships toward God and one another, then the Word of God will be blasphemed. The Word of God will be spoken against. And the Christian life will not look attractive. And so we're going to look at those things as we go through here. First, let's begin with verse 1. And number 1 on the study guide. We need to acknowledge that this section is teaching that elders and evangelists, teachers of God's Word, are to train them by speaking things fitting for healthy doctrine. Speak things fitting for healthy doctrine. That's interesting how that's worded. It doesn't say speak sound doctrine. Yes, we're to speak sound doctrine. But the way this is worded is that there are truths that are taught that are fit for healthy teaching and living i don't know that there's a whole lot of there maybe i split a hair that's not even there but there are things that we are to speak that are in god's word that are fit for healthy doctrine and healthy practice healthy relationships and as you can see on the study guide letter a under number one truth requires certain behaviors of us And so if we feel detached from the Word of God, or we feel that we're not getting anything out of it, you know the old saying, we need to put more into it, that kind of thing, and acknowledge that the truths are in God's Word are designed for us to behave a certain way as a result of what it says. It's not merely a matter of knowing God's Word. But practicing the things that the Word of God teaches. We can just we can know it. We can quote hundreds of verses. We can memorize Greek words. But if we don't make application, then it's not beneficial to us. And it will be reflected in the way that we live if we've applied it. And evangelists are to preach the Word of God. They must preach that God, letter B, that God's doctrine produces healthy living. Titus 2, 1. But as for you, and in this context, that's Titus. As for you, speak the things which are proper or fitting for sound doctrine. The evangelist is to work hand in hand with with the eldership. Because the elders are able to teach. And they're, remember from chapter 1 verse 9, they're to hold fast. They're to grip the word of God and not let it go. And so both are working and teaching the church what it needs as far as how to live as a child of God. And elders have opportunities when things come up in the local church, when there are troubles, to not merely cater to people or situations, but to teach people so that they can learn, they can develop, and they can grow. That's so important. A word I like mentorship, mentoring people. Through the teaching of God's Word, letting them see behavior modeled before them. And again, this is behavior in this section that we're going to learn. Attitudes and behavior. Number two on the study guide. Elders are to teach them that the Word of God may not be blasphemed. That the Word of God may not be blasphemed. Let's look at verses 2 through 5. As for you, Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers good obedient to their own husbands that the word of god may not be blasphemed the first group of individuals that paul addresses and he tells titus to address at least in the order of the text is older men and i've read a couple places where supposedly 60 and up was older and that and younger and younger and that you're young and all maybe so Maybe that's the case. It kind of looks like that in Scripture that, you know, Paul and the way he writes of himself, the age, and other different writers. And we approximate their lifespan and about how old they were. They were probably in their 60s when they called themselves older and that kind of thing. I don't look at this like as a hard, fast rule that you've got to be an exact age to be older. But we do associate it with growing up and children growing up and not being in the home anymore. and that kind. Most people do not see me as an old man. (laughs) They don't. I'm not, I'm most people will not think that because truly I'm I'm not, I'm I'm not, you know, I'm at the stage of life where I have small children and, and, and I've been, and I've been married many, many years, you know, but just a few years. And so older men, those that are older, that are men, they're to be sober and all these things that I have here on the study guide. I'm not merely trying to read them to you, but I think they're essential in their and they're important, so I'm going to go through each one of these. Older men are taught to be sober, and the idea is like circumspect, to, to be careful, to see carefully, to, to be clear-headed. It, it, it starts with the idea of being sober and you know, free from intoxicants, but it's even more than that. It's the idea that you care about what people see when they see you. And that's so important because older people, older men cannot develop the attitude, well, nobody cares about me because I'm an old person. I know how worldly society tends to try to look at older people and disregard them, but God says that is not the case. In the church, people need to respect those that are older and they need to learn from them. And so older men need to care what people think when they see them. We don't need to have the attitude as we get older, nobody cares about me, or I'm not as important, or, you know, I'm old now, so I don't care what people think about me. (laughs) We should care what people think about us, especially as it connects with being a child of God, because that's who we are. Older men are to be reverent. That means that they're to be um, serious about the faith and about life. Their life is not characterized by just being a jokester. Obviously, it doesn't mean that they never joke. We 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 know how to joke, and some of us have enjoyed that together. But but older men have lived long enough that they realize the seriousness of life, or they should. And we know when folks don't learn that, and they're older, we say they're still a kid. They never grew up. And by that, we don't mean that it's a sin to tell a joke when you're older. We mean they don't take life seriously. They don't take their responsibility, their example seriously. And Paul is saying they need to, and they must. Number three, they are temperate. And the idea here is that they curb impulses. They avoid extravagance and overindulgence. Because, again, that's something that a person who is older should have learned by that time in life from from, from experience and from seeing others as well. Number four, they're to be sound or healthy in faith or in the faith. The, the word translated sound is the same word there of high, the word we get hygiene. It's, it's the same word from which we get our word hygiene. Healthy, healthy persuasion. That's what faith is in the faith. We need to have a healthy persuasion when we, men, when we become older. We should be, we should be grounded and settled. And that means that we don't doubt God's word. We have faith in God. We trust God. We believe in His power. We believe in His wisdom no matter what America's doing, no matter what's going on in Harrisburg. We have that kind of faith. It is a sound faith. It is a hygienic, healthy persuasion, whatever the circumstances may be. They're to be sound in love. And the idea there of their commitment, their dedication. Older men, you men, you're to be dedicated in your love. For Christ and the church and for those that are lost. And also sound in patience. You remember this. I know you've heard this preach. You've had good preaching here. I know this. You know it. You study the word of God, I believe. The idea of remaining under a trial and a difficulty. Being faithful during a hardship. Not giving in, not giving out, not giving up. Older men are to develop in such a way that they remain faithful and loyal with a good attitude even under hardships. And some of you men are like that. Now, we have men like that at Washington Avenue. We look up to men like that. You men, you may not feel that way that people look up to you, but they do. We don't look up to people who quit. We don't look up to people who, you know, I used to be a Christian, but I don't want to do that anymore. It's not worth it. No, we admire the men who are older physically and in the faith. We say, Look how he's remained faithful. And we all know he's had his hardships. We all know he's had his difficult times. I think like Job and other men. And then men even here in this congregation. You know who you are. Your brethren know who you are. Those are the kind of men that God wants older men to be. Older men have developed where they can accept disappointment and failure. They're content with serving God faithfully. They don't lose heart when they don't get their way. Or when things don't go the way they had hoped. Because they've learned. They've matured. They've developed in their faith. They are healthy in their persuasion and conviction. They're dedicated in their commitment to God. And they are patient. They don't try to get out of the trials. They don't try to say, well, you know, if I back off my faith, I'll get out from under this trial so much. Maybe more people in my family will like me if I don't press the issue of the gospel. No. That's not being sound as an older man in the faith. So the word of God may not be blasphemed. Old men. That's not not a derogative term by the way. If you think it is. You've learned that from America. And I say that respectfully. The Bible calls you older men. That's a term of endearment. In the mind of God. Even gray hair honor, respect. It's a wonderful thing to be a faithful older man in the Lord. And there are instructions even for you as we've considered here. So that the Word of God may not be spoken against, blasphemed. When older men are not that way in the congregation, the Word of God is blasphemed. It's spoken against people in the church and people out of the church and say yeah you know even their older members their older men they're not serious they're not grave they're not convicted in their faith they're just playing church people see that so god wants older men to be this way so that the word of god is not blasphemed let's look next letter b the aged or older women there are five things given there and i'll I'll tread through this gently, but I read this and I thought this was decent. Childbearing typically ends at about 40 to 45 years of age. About-ish. And child-rearing ends at about 60 to 65-ish. I'm talking about biological children. I'm talking about if you adopt a child when you're 70 or 40 or whatever. And so, just with that little scale, you know, in your own mind, the older women there to be, the text says back there, if you look at verse number three beginning, likewise these older women, they're to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not giving them much wine, teachers of good things. They are to admonish the young women to do certain things. And we'll get to that in just a moment. First, they're on the study guide under letter B, number one, they're to be reverent in behavior. The, the word comes from, that, from, the, from the history and the idea of, of, of being like a priest. Being fit for religious service. God wants the older women of this congregation to be fit for reverent, godly, priest-like service. Wow. To not be slanderous. And the word translated slanderous, you can see there, I have it on the study guide. It's the word from which we get devil or accuser. Godly older women are not to be accusing people like the devil, saying things that aren't true, that would certainly include gossip. Unfortunately, gossip's not something just women can do, men can too, but since we're on this and since the Spirit put this here, we'll just confine it to that for now. Satan would love for the older women to be calling people and saying things that aren't true or saying things that are not necessary. Saying things that would cause a shadow of doubt. You know, I really like that guy that did the meeting, but you know, is that needed? (laughs) If, If you were to honestly have a concern about me, the right thing to do would be to come to me. Not talk to somebody else. Because I'm actually your brother in Christ. You know, I'm not just merely an evangelist. I'm your brother in Christ. If I have a problem with any one of you, the only right thing to do would be for me to go to you. Not talk to Brock about it. Not to go to the elders. The right thing to do is to have the right attitude toward ourselves and toward one another. Not be slanderous. Number three, don't be given to much. The Greek word is polis, much wine. And I've left there in the study guide, Matthew 9, 14, John 5, 6, 1 Peter 1, 13, abundant mercy. Do your own study with these verses. You'll you'll come, I think, to, to understand that the word much in the English really does not convey the Greek word. You know, sometimes translators were maybe a tad biased. Thankfully, we have plenty of information to study and check those things. That's not a fear for us to say, oh, you mean we don't have good translations? Yes, we have good translations. But we still need to study. Having a good translation doesn't mean I don't need to study. We still need to study. And I think when you study that word, you'll find that it's used in this way. It's it's an adjective that describes from one to whatever, nth degree. The lame man, the Lord knew how long he'd been laying, the many days he had been at the pool there. Well, we don't know how many days he was laying there. One day, two days, a hundred days, a thousand days, ten thousand days. But here's what we know. The Lord knew exactly how many days he'd been laying there. Because the word used describes that entire period in which he laid there and the Lord knew. He said, what's that got to do with wine? I, I truly believe, I've come to believe that the idea is that God doesn't want children of God to be addicted or using any level from zero or one would be the right word. From one to the nth degree. Because in scripture we're commanded to be Sober. And that means to abstain. 1 Peter 1.13 And drunkenness is condemned. So really there's no authority for anything in between. And if we understand that, when we come to these lifestyles of older women, younger men, and, you know, just on the surface without studying, it, it looks like elders can't drink. Deacons can drink a little. Old women can drink a little. Young women can't drink. and It looks like it's all this, what is it? I think through a study, we put these kinds of things together. We understand the Bible doesn't contradict itself. God's saying the same thing. An older woman is not to be addicted to one from the nth degree of wine. She's to be sober, not intoxicated. And so that's one of the things that's to be characteristic of an older woman. In addition to that. An older woman is to be a good teacher of good things. They they teach by their behavior and with their mouth things that are noble and godly. And they teach the young women, verse 4. Notice that. God commands older Christian women to teach the younger women. That's not merely Bible class, although that's 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 a good way to do it. It can't be limited to Bible class. Like this is an instruction not for merely Bible class. This is for the way older Christian women live. Not merely the elders' wives. Not merely the preacher's wives. The older women. Because you know oftentimes the preacher's wives are not the older women. They're not. A lot of times they're not. Because for some reason most churches think all the preachers have to be real young. Thanks for supporting me though. Thanks for having Brock, you know. The point that I'm trying to make is that God instructs the older women to teach the younger women. It's not that women can't teach. It's that God tells the women who to teach. And sadly, there are some, even in the church, who don't like that. They want to teach the men. And I'm not talking about one-on-one. I'm talking about in the formal capacity in a gender-mixed assembly, which First Peter 2 says, no, no. That's the job that God has given to the Christian men. Let me ask you a few questions about older women teaching younger women. Are we not short on young women knowing how to act and dress modestly in our society? Yep. Older women, boom, there you go. Are we not short on young women who know how to love their husbands and love their children in our society? Yep, boom, there you go, older women. Imagine, it's, it's like God knows that an older Christian woman has the knowledge and the experience to sit down with young and teenage and otherwise younger girls and talk to them about their attitude of how they clothe their bodies. What a weird setting for me or Brock to sit in a Bible class with a bunch of women or a bunch of teenage girls and teach them how to dress. What an awkward situation. It's like God's got a wise way to do it, you know? It's like God knows what He's doing. He is, and He does, and He will when we follow His way. It doesn't mean that the evangelists can't teach on modesty, but we don't want to omit this command. Older women teach the younger women. Letter C on the study guide. Here are things about the younger women. They are, number one, to love their husbands. Today, women, even young women especially, they're encouraged to love who they want, when they want, how they want, etc., etc. God says you love your own husband. Love him. And, of course, the Scripture also teaches that a husband is to love his wife. Right? We're aware of that. The older women can teach the younger women why. Why? But, but because they have that experience. They've loved their husbands. And there's something special too about widows. Women who've been serving God for maybe many years or so many years, however it may be. And their spouse died and they missed them and they grieve for them. And then they can teach the younger women, hey, don't take your husband for granted. Love your husbands. Maybe there's even a godly woman who says, maybe I didn't love my husband the way that I could have. Maybe I didn't. And they tell a younger woman, don't miss out on that. Sometimes that might be the case. Other times that woman loved him with all her heart and all those good things. And then those younger women can learn from that. They're to teach the younger women to love their children. Society's missing that. We know that. Children are killed in the womb. Children are thrown in garbage dumpsters. They're even dropped off at locations that cities and governments have placed in certain places if you don't want your kid. Sometimes children live and grow up in homes, but they're neglected spiritually, even by their own mothers, sometimes. Older women are to teach the young women to love their children and to be discreet. And part, part of the idea of this word here is... To have this sound inner outlook on life. Think about our day and time. Think about the pressure on young girls and young women. To look a certain way. To spend a certain amount of money to look a certain way. If this or that is out of order, I feel like a failure. Think about all the insecurities that social media and all that goes along with it brings to our young women. Think about how it exploits young women. That's terrible. By living for Christ and older women teaching younger women to be discreet, they in their minds can know, I I can have this sound inner outlook on life. I don't need to do this and show everybody. You know, I don't need to dress in a way to impress other people. I need to dress in a way that reflects, I love King Jesus, and I want to help people go to heaven, and I'm not ashamed of it, and I don't care if people laugh at me at school. And there's one thing that I admire. Let me get a little side note here. There's one thing that I admire about some of the Mormons that you meet in your community. If you go online and watch videos about them, many of them, I can't speak for all of them, but many of them, and I've had many Bible studies with Mormons. Many of them are very devoted, and they don't care if you laugh at them. Now, I'm not saying I laughed at them, but you can just go online and look at the the videos of people making fun of Mormons and their faith. I'll grant their faith is very peculiar, and it is not biblical. It's not completely biblical by any means. But they don't care. And there are people like that in other religions. They don't care if you get la- if they get laughed at. This is what they believe. They believe what they're doing is healthy living. And so, older women need to teach our younger women about that. To, be, to, to have this inner, this sound inner outlook on life. To not compare themselves with other girls and other women. And certainly not the women of the world. The women of the world act this way, dress this way, paint themselves up so people will look at them in lust. We we've got to and older women can do that. The the, the preacher can't do that. But older godly women can do that. It's different. Because women are women. And men are men, despite what the world says. Young women are to be chaste. Chaste in their habits and their dress and their language. Careful about how. They dress and how they talk and, and the habits that they form. They're to be good. The American standard says kind. In the first century world, it was perhaps a little more difficult. I say a little. I didn't live then. Just looking at it from afar, it looks like it would probably be quite a bit more difficult for women to work and to serve even in the home. I just think back to a few years of some of my great grandmothers that died when I was younger. And I hear stories that my, about my grandparents, you know, their children. And it was... You know what I'm talking about? And I'm not making fun of them, although we sometimes laugh when we say these things It was uphill both ways. <laughs> in a lot of ways it was. And in ancient times, it, it, it could make a, a woman working at home kind of kind of crude, kind of rough around the edges. Paul says, for the older women teach the younger women, be kind, be considerate. And I think the same, the same principle obviously applies today. Old women teach the younger women, be kind, I don't mean don't be tough and faithful, but be kind, be considerate. And number five, be homemakers. That means to take care of domestic affairs. You know, our society, again, you know how the the feminist movement has just helped to erode the home? To the point where women feel they have to, like, defend themselves if they stay at home. Like literally, my wife has been in conversations with individuals, not anybody here that I know of. I'm not, this is not a direct deal you on know, anybody, but with people. And sometimes it's Christians, and it's like, oh, you stay at home. Like, like there's some kind of novel weird thing. <laughs> you know, for thousands of years, all women took care of domestic affairs. And they, 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 they didn't see it as, as having a humdrum, terrible life. I'm I'm thinking that women generally tend to think that way today because that's what the world tells them. Because I know great and godly women who have loved taking care of their domestic affairs. It's challenging. It's hard. I see my wife doing it. It's not easy. I recognize that. Children, each of them are a full-time job. I'm learning that. I have two children. But don't let the way you feel as a young woman, as a young girl, don't let the way you feel about your role and in these instructions be determined by what the world says. You go to godly older women. You talk to them. You go to God's Word and listen to it. Don't be ashamed of it. Obviously, being a worker at home doesn't mean it's a sin for a woman to go outside of the house. I recall the, the woman in Proverbs 31 did both. In my opinion, that'd be real hard. <laughs> That's my opinion. But she did both. She sold things and she helped to provide for her family and her children. And she took care of her home and her children. And so if you can find out how to do that and seek first the kingdom of God. And somebody correct me after if I'm over. But show me a verse in the Bible. More power to you. Sometimes those kinds of things are necessary. But what we know is commanded is for women... To be makers at home. Homemakers taking care. I don't know of a verse that commands women to provide for their families monetarily. But I do know of a verse that commands women to take care of domestic affairs at home. So we dare not leave out that command. Be obedient to husbands. That means to deliberately put yourself in rank below. To to arrange yourself under. Your husband, your own husband. And of course, that runs counter to modern culture and the idea that feminists push of, push of being independent and all this kind of stuff. Let me just say this. <clears throat> a husband cannot make his wife submit. Submit is a choice that a godly woman has to make. And we husbands would do well to remember that and, and the wives would do well to remember too. That It's a command from God that the women are to do. And the husband can't make them do that. The husband might make them have a bad life. And that would be wrong. But this is something that God commands women to do. The wives. And let me just say this as well. Look if you're out there. and Don't make your decisions when you're a little child. You know you younger girls. You grow up and learn. And then you make your decision as you get older. But if you grow up and you rise. There is no way. I could ever submit to a husband. Here's my suggestion. Don't get married. And I'm just dead serious because that's what the Bible teaches that. The Bible says for the wife to submit to the husband like the church is to submit to Christ. And we know Christ is not a tyrant, and I can't go off on that, but we know that. Again, drawing this back in, older women, older men, younger women... Or to behave this way so that the Word of God is not blasphemed. It's not spoken again. Do we want to be effective in reaching people in this community? Well, this is what the textbook says. You know. Gimmicks won't get it. But the Word of God will. Number three. Train them that an opponent may be ashamed. Key word, ashamed. And not have anything evil to say. Let's look together at verses 6 through 8. The young men quickly. Likewise, exhort, Titus, you exhort the young men to be sober-minded. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. Sound speech that can't be condemned. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed. Having nothing evil to say of you. The young men, letter A, are to be sober-minded. Again, they're sensible. They are balanced in every dimension of their life. And again, that is counter to what the world says. The world tells young men, live it up. Sow your wild out. You got plenty of time. That's the devil talking. Young men. <laughs> Let's just go on and throw a number on there. 50 and under. <laughs> and everything, and everything, be balanced in your life. Be a pattern of good works, that means a model. People can look to you and say, that's how a Christian lives. I see it in the Bible and I see what they're doing. He's a model. And have integrity, that means don't be corrupt. Be reverent, again, serious. And be sincere and not corrupted by the incorruptibility. Don't be corrupted by the things of the world. Don't, as a young man, think, I've got plenty of time. You don't know that. And that's the wrong attitude to have to please God anyway. Even if you do live the 100, that's the wrong attitude. Your life as a young man is to glorify God and to draw people to Him because He deserves it. And you don't. And I don't either. He deserves us. To be people that are incorruptible and serious, dignified, people will notice us. And I'm going to tell you, when you act that way as a young man or a young woman in school, it will lead to souls being saved. And it probably has here in this church. I'm sure it has. I'm thinking of at least one or two that I personally know. It has. These young men are to have sound speech that can't be condemned. That means they're to be above reproach. Again, so that an opponent of the church might be ashamed. Because that's how Satan uses the people outside the church. To hurt the witness of the church and to belittle the word of God. As a young man, as a young woman, you don't want the the community looking at you and, and, and the opponent has something to say. And it's true. It's true. You're not serious. It's true, you are corrupt. You go to church every week, but people at school and work know you're corrupt. You won't be effective in evangelizing souls for whom Jesus died. You won't be fulfilling your mission. I will not, as a young man, be fulfilling my mission because my enemies will not be ashamed. What that can do is when the enemies are shamed, it can humble them down to where their hearts are more pliable to the truth. Number four, we're to teach them that you may show the doctrine of God attractive. Keyword: attractive. Verses 9 and 10. Exhort slaves or bond servants to be obedient to their own husbands, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. Not pilfering, not showing all good, excuse me, but showing all good fidelity or honesty that they may adorn. That's the word from which I have the key word attractive. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. That was a sensitive subject in the first century. In our day and time, it's like, you know, we think, well, that doesn't apply today. There's not slaves and that kind of thing. Well, maybe there's not slaves the same way there used to be in our country but there are very similar relationships in our day and time. And I certainly think the principles would apply to those who have chosen to be servants of their masters at work, their bosses. We're to be obedient at work. We're to please our boss in all things, all things that are not sinful. We're to not answer back, be argumentative. You know, the child of God, again, if... if if we want the enemy to be ashamed and humbled down so that they can see the truth and their accusations not be true of us, we have to live in a way where when we're at work, we're not arguing all the time with the boss. We're not being disrespectful. Instead, we're, we keep our place and we, we say good and godly things and we work hard and we're not pilfering. The word means thieving, like to skim off the top. Yeah, you know, I work for this company. They got millions of bucks. I can take a few of the erasers. You know, I can take a few of this. I can take a few of that. Imagine a slave and a master in the first century and how that must have been a difficult situation. God told the slaves, look, don't steal from your masters. It's wrong. It don't matter if they're mistreating you. It's, it's never right to do wrong. And the same principle applies to us, to be honest, to be honest. And what that does, when we serve God in the community in that way, even in our workplaces, and that's how I want us to really consider that for us What that does is that that brings luster and attraction to the church of Christ. People like those folks are truly different. They're not Pharisees. They're not playing games. They're they're not hateful. On the other hand, they're they're not pushovers. They're they're convicted about the about their faith. They're convicted. They're for real. And they're so benevolent. They're so kind and useful. Again, so that the doctrine of God is attractive to the world. Number five, and finally, here are the main ideas we've looked at. When we don't get our role, whether it be older men, older women, younger women or younger men, if we, servants, employees, if we don't, if we don't get that right, the Word of God is spoken against. And again, let's, let's just do some inflection, or rather... Uh, introspection on ourselves is it possible that people have not obeyed the gospel that are around me because I have not lived and carried out my role as seriously and as carefully as I could have I'm thinking yes that's true of me I'm not proud of that I can give the Lord more I I can give him my whole heart I can give him my best effort when we don't do it right, the Word of God is spoken against. And people see that. And how often do people say, that's just a bunch of hypocrites up there at that church. And now look, look. I know we like to come back with our little memes and say, well, you go to Walmart, there's hypocrites there. Look, I, I, I get it. But sometimes we need to look in the mirror. And we need to say, is there something true about what they're saying? They know that I believe there's one church. And then then that a person must be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins, to be right with God. They've never talked to me about that. I don't think they really mean it. I don't think they really believe it. You see how the word of God is spoken against? Maybe because we were waiting on the perfect time to talk to them. There's never a perfect time. The time is now. Number B or letter B, when we don't get our role in relationships right, we shame the cause of Christ. And people will speak unnecessarily evil about us. That's what the text says. People are going to speak evil of us, folks. Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Not because you're annoying, but because you do what's right. But blessed, you know, you're in good company. The prophets were they were persecuted like that. Great is your reward in heaven, right? So the world's always going to speak evil against us. The, the difference is is when we get our role right, we don't shame the cause of Christ. We promote it. And, and what that does is there's no unnecessary evil spoken of us. We didn't bring it on ourselves because we're not being careful about our roles in the family of God. And let her see. When we don't get our role in relationships right. We are not showing Christianity to be attractive. Keyword: attractive. To make Christianity attractive. We don't have to change anything. I'm not suggesting that. But when people see the Bible. The Christianity. As is taught. When they see that practice. It makes all the difference in the world. Think about the people that have influenced you. That you love, that you cherish, that you say that was a man of God, a woman of God. And they are one of the reasons why I have the faith that I have. You don't have the faith that you have and the trust and love for Christ because of people that quit and because of people who did not appear to be loving the Christian life, you know. You were not faithful or drawn to them or to Christ because they were living in sin. No, that's not attractive. People see it when we live it and when we meet it. So here's the conclusion. Train them. Elders, train them. Evangelists, train them. In our day and time, Bible class teachers, train them. And this just goes on. Husbands and wives, train your children. Train them and live it. don't hinder the work of God, the Word of God, the drawing of souls to Christ. You know, it'd be easy to say this. Well, you know, nobody's sinlessly perfect. So I'm not going to give it my all. Folks, the world sees a difference in people who actually say or claim to be living sinlessly perfect. And in a person who truly loves the Lord and they're giving God all they got. Because they love Him. And then that, brother, sister, such as yourself or myself, we sin. And when we sin, we're penitent. And people at the workplace, people in the local congregation, people in our family that we eat with for Thanksgiving and Christmas, they see that we're penitent. There's a difference. Don't think that you have to achieve some sinless perfection level in these roles even. But on the other extreme, don't think that because we don't achieve that, that we're not responsible for drawing people to God. And that includes not living in a way that the Word of God is blasphemed, that the truth is spoken against, that Christianity and even the Harrisburg Church of Christ just doesn't look attractive. Like, why would I want to be a part of that? Instead, when they see that genuineness that you have... And that you desire to grow more in. Ah, the light burns brighter. And it shines. And it will grow. And God will give the increase. Tonight, most of us here of accountable state are children of God. This is a Sunday night. But I believe there's some things here that have challenged me. And if that's the case, I'm thinking hopefully maybe it's challenged some of you. Because each of us individually have a part this. You can't say, well, you know, I'm old. Well, I'm young. Well, I'm just in the middle. And I'm busy. I've got children. I'm retired now. Folks, we don't retire from the Lord. We've got to get these relationships right if we're going to practice sound, healthy doctrine. If we're going to be a healthy church so that Christianity is not blasphemed. It's not spoken against. We're not ashamed. We don't get shamed. It's not true of us. That we are not living for the Lord as we can. Christianity is attractive when we practice it from the heart. If you're here as a child of God, maybe maybe even on a Sunday night, maybe you find yourself where you need, you need some spiritual juice. <laughs> you need some encouragement. Why not take this as an opportunity to ask the elder of this church to pray for you, to help you, to encourage you. Because you know what? We all get down sometimes. And on the other hand, we all from time to time forget our role. It's like we get so self-consumed. and Oh, that's what I've been guilty of. I find myself just focusing on Aaron. That is so wrong. I have given myself to Christ. I'm a Christian and many of you are too. For me to live, remember, is Christ. To die is gain. This is part of the essentials for evangelism, to be a healthy membership so that people will want to be a part of what Jesus died for. What part are you playing, if you will? If you've been missing out on opportunities, make this a time of resolve. I'm going to go headlong and let me end like this. Don't ask the question, am I doing enough? The question, am I doing enough, can really hurt us on a number of levels. And I'm not going to go into all that. As a child of God, if you've wondered, am I doing enough for the Lord, let me redirect that desire that you have to please God. (laughs) Ask yourself this question, what more can I do for my Lord? So that people in this community can have more opportunities to be right with God. If you're here tonight and you've not obeyed the gospel, there may be one here. One I'm not aware of. We would be happy to study with you. We would be happy to baptize you into Christ. It's not very hard. I'm thinking the water's ready. I don't know. I didn't touch it. But I'm looking around. I've got a few nods. There's some water ready. It's right here. I've said that before and the water wasn't ready right then. There's water ready. We can baptize you into Christ. And if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you can come changing your heart about sin in your life with the commitment to confess Christ as Lord, Romans 10.10, and to be baptized into Christ, to be born again, John 3. And you can walk out of here tonight knowing you're right with God and that you are now a part of this work as a member of this congregation, the most glorious work of glorifying Christ and drawing souls to Him. If you need to respond, do it now. We sing a song of invitation. Won't you come? Let's stand together and let's sing.